You're listening to the Faith Matters Podcast with Steve McKinley. Hello, and thank you for joining me today. Whether you're watching the video podcast or you're listening to the audio-only version, I want to say welcome. And uh, I sure hope that today's episode will be a great blessing to your heart uh, because I'm going to continue a discussion that I started last week uh, where I laid out the case that the Bible is the guidebook for our lives. And everything that we know of has an instruction manual. And from the toaster to your automobile, uh, everything comes with instructions for how to operate it. And it turns out that we have one for our lives given to us by our Creator, who is the God of heaven and the God of the Bible. And he gave us this word um, to show us how to live and to give us wisdom and instruction for our lives. And the Bible speaks to life. And uh, we need that because, as I mentioned last week, life tends to go haywire. Uh, Life just goes off the rails. And we're left wondering, uh, where do we turn? And people can sink down into a hole so deep you feel that you can't get out of it. And uh, you run into life problems that are so difficult you feel like you'll never get through them. And where do you turn? And I want to hold forth the Bible and offer it to you and say to you that the Bible has answers for life. And we have to have utter confidence Mm -hmm. and trust in God's Word, that He gave us His Word, He knows how He wants us to live, He cares about us, He loves us, and so the Bible is trustworthy, and we ought to give it the due attention that it requires and that our lives deserve and that our lives need in order to function properly. And one thing I would say about myself is that I have no wisdom of my own. And the Bible is God's Word. And anything that I share, any advice, any counsel that I would share uh, for life and for living must come out of God's Word. And anyone who counsels out of the Bible, whether it be a pastor or a friend or family member, or maybe you're just reading the Bible yourself, uh, no matter who that is, just know that this is the very Word of God. It's not man's Word. And I want to show you what the Bible claims for itself. And I have my Bible here open to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 was written by King David of Israel, and he was a prolific psalm writer. And in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 8, he says this about Scripture. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And this this is a pretty bold claim from the Bible. It claims to convert or to restore the soul or revive the soul. 
It claims to make wise the simple, those who are without understanding and who, who need wisdom. And it rejoices the heart. It puts joy in the heart. Lofty claims for scripture. And I wonder if you have ever spoken to a psychologist or if you would uh, think that a psychologist would ever make these kinds of, a cl- of claims for themselves. Probably not. And if they did, would you think that they could deliver on those claims? The answer is no, because no one can make these claims for themselves except for God and his word. Only God's word can, uh, can restore or revive the soul and make wise the simple and rejoice the heart, put joy in the heart. Uh, God's Word is a unique book, and it does what no other book can do. And so this is a book that speaks to our lives, and this is what every person needs. You know, uh, people with big life problems where life has just gone haywire, when they feel like they're in that deep hole, they need wisdom for their lives. They need their, their broken souls restored, and they need joy in their heart where right now they have despair and hurt and all of these things. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're watching and you're thinking, I have those things going on in me and and I have these big life problems and I, I don't know how to deal with these things. And sometimes I'm wondering if I can even go on living with these problems. And I'm here to say The Bible gives you hope, and the Bible does have answers for your life, and it's worth investigating the Bible and finding these answers in life, and the promise of the Bible is big. It's going to put joy in your heart. It's going to put understanding in you, and it's going to restore your soul. Doesn't that sound wonderful? That's what everybody needs, Uh, especially people with these enormous life problems. And uh, just by way of example, I want to share one issue with you today that the Bible speaks to, to show you how the Bible speaks into life. And I'm not going to be, be able to do more in this podcast episode than just scratch the surface, because this is an enormous topic that I'm going to talk about. But I basically just want to give you an overview of how the Bible approaches this topic, and who knows, maybe I'll share a little bit of something today that will speak to your heart and help you. And I want to speak to the matter of addictions. Throughout all time, and especially in the age that we live in, addictions are rampant, and there are all kinds of addictions. And let's just take one of the most basic addictions, the addiction to alcohol, probably the most prevalent of addictions. What does the Bible say to an alcoholic or to an addict of any kind? Well, the first thing that we would say, um, approaching it from a biblical standpoint, is that when we look at addictions, they're remarkably like idolatry in the Bible. In fact, addictions are idolatry that we read about in the Bible. And you might be scratching your head and asking, how how is that the case? Is that true? 
And for that, I want to flip over to, uh, to Isaiah chapter 44. And uh, Isaiah was uh, a prophet of Israel in the Old Testament, and he was calling Israel back to the one true God from their idols. And an idol is basically um, somewhere uh, that we turn uh, when we don't trust the true and living God, we turn to a false god. And that's what an idol is. And an idol can take many different forms. It doesn't necessarily have to be a carved stone or a piece of wood. It could be a video game. It could be shopping. Uh, it could be any number of things. It could be holding a bottle in the hand. Okay, there are many, many forms of idolatry. An addiction could be called a self-determined and an obsessive quest to find peace and pleasure in this material and temporal world without God. Now that's a Christian, that's a definition of addictions from a Christian standpoint. But, but isn't that true? It's a self-determined and an obsessive quest to find peace and pleasure um, in this world without God. And I think you can, with that definition, you can begin to see where idolatry comes in. Idolatry um, is, or I'm sorry, addictions is idolatry. It's looking for peace and pleasure in the world without God and looking in all the wrong places. And so listen to the prophet Isaiah here. I mean, Isaiah chapter 44 and I'll read a few verses here in verse, I'll begin in verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. I'll skip down a little bit. He says, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? There is no God. I know not any. But here are idolaters. Here are people who think they can find the attributes of God in inanimate objects and in a feeling and in an experience in many different ways except for looking for and seeking after the one true God. And so Isaiah mocks the idolater here, and hear what he says. I want you to notice the vocabulary here, the language that Isaiah uses to describe the idolater. He says, uh, They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit, and they are their own witness. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed." Who hath formed a god or, a, or molten a graven image that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed, and the workmen they are of men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear, and they shall be ashamed together. The smith with the tongs both worketh with the coals, and fashioneth it with the hammers, and worketh it with the strength of his arms. Yea, he is hungry, and his strength faileth. He drinketh no water, and is faint. 
And so what the uh, what Isaiah the prophet here is telling us about the idolater and the, and the person who makes the, the idols is basically that the idol is utterly powerless to meet the basic needs of life. And here is the one making the idol, and he gets hungry and he gets tired in the process of making this idol that's supposed to solve all these problems for him. What an utterly ridiculous thought or idea. And yet, this is what people do. And by the way, idolatry is alive and well today. I've met a few people here in Ireland who have uh, who are self-professed idolaters, and they've showed me their idols. And so, idolatry is alive and well. And there are yet people today who have a carved stone and want to worship and pray to that stone. And the prophet goes on here and he says, The carpenter stretcheth out his rule. He marketh it out with a line. He fitteth it with planes. And he maketh it out with the compass. And maketh it after the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. He heweth him down cedars, and taketh the cypress, and the oak, which he strengtheneth for himself among the trees of the forest. He planteth an ash, and the rain doth nourish it. Then shall it be for a man to burn, for he will take thereof. By the way, he's saying here that the idol is made from the ash tree, which is watered by the rain from heaven. And what are these things? These are gifts from God. God causes the trees to grow. God waters the earth with the rain. And so the idolater takes the wonderful things that God has made, the very gifts that God has given to the idolater, he takes them and fashions a false god to worship and pray to. And he says, It shall be for a man to burn For he will take thereof and warm himself, yea, he kindleth it, and he baketh bread, yea, he maketh a god and worshipeth it, he maketh it a graven image and falleth down thereto. He burneth part thereof in the fire, with part thereof he eateth flesh, he roasteth roast and is satisfied, yea, he warmeth him himself and saith, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire." And the residue thereof he maketh a god, even his graven image. He falleth down unto it, and worshipeth it, and prayeth unto it, and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my god. And so here you have uh, the idolater again who is, uh, who is going through all this work, and uh, he takes this tree, this stump or this log that he's going to, to make the idol with, and he cuts it up, and he uses part of it to make the fire. And he burns, burns it, and he warms himself, and he makes bread on it. And the other half he's going to save out to make himself a god. Um, how utterly foolish to uh, take what God has given and use part of it to service yourself and to destroy it by fire and then seek to worship the other half of it, which you've saved out. And and what the prophet is saying here is that an idol is utterly uh, incapable of delivering what is promised. 
And, uh, and so here we begin to see the deceitfulness of idolatry. I, uh, the, the person puts faith in the idol and is looking for the idol to uh, solve his problems and meet his needs and provide things for him. Uh, but the idol always fails to deliver because, of course, the idol is nothing. It's vanity, as the prophet is saying here. And he says here, and so he, he prays to it, deliver me for you are my God. You know, I have these big life problems. Please deliver me from these. And if you lived in Israel in ancient times, you know, if you were a farmer and to eat for the next year, you really depended on the rain. And if you were in a drought, you had two options. You could go call to the true God of heaven who, who, who alone can send the rain or you can go out and cut down a tree and pray to the tree and hope that this dead piece of wood can provide rain. And, and then be surprised when it fails to deliver. And so idolatry is utter foolishness. And then he goes on to verse 18 and he says, They have not known nor understood, for he hath shut their eyes that they cannot see and their hearts that they cannot understand. And so there's ignorance and there's uh, a refusal to see the foolishness of idolatry, of what they're actually doing. And remember the promise of Psalm 19, uh, God's word promises to give the foolish or to give the simple understanding. But the idolater is one without understanding. And he says, And none considereth in his heart, neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned part of it in the fire, yea, and I have also baked bread upon the coals thereof. I have roasted flesh and eaten it, and shall I make the residue thereof an abomination, that is, an, an idol? Shall I fall down to the stalk of a tree? He feedeth on ashes. A deceived heart hath turned him aside, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? And so the idolater lies to himself, and he's unaware of the idol's own weaknesses, that it's, a, it's just a rock or a piece of wood, and he places all of his hope and his trust. And of course, it's a false, uh, it's a misplaced trust that he puts in this stock of wood. And... Um, and I think you can see the parallels here to uh, to addiction. And think of what the um, what the alcoholic does. He holds that bottle in his hand. Now it's not a rock that he's going to pray and worship, but he nurses that bottle. The drunkard nurses the bottle, and uh, he looks at that bottle and it lies to him. It, it deceives him. And he looks at the bottle as if it's going to solve his problems. And he probably wants to forget the problems of life and just kind of get lost in the bottle. Um, he wants to numb his pain. Uh, he wants uh, maybe to have a good time and just forget all of the worry and just kind of leave it all behind. And the idol, the, the bottle, actually will deliver for a short amount of time. It might 
It might do that for him for a short amount of time, but then he wakes up in the morning and finds out that life and his problems and the way he feels about them is much worse than the night before. And yet he'll go through the day and then in the evening again, take out another bottle and repeat the process all over. And so the bottle deceives. It deceives the alcoholic, and yet he has no understanding. He's blinded to the fact that he's being deceived by this alcohol, and where he's turning for answers to life's problems is actually destroying him. It's destroying his mind and his body, aging him way before his time. And, uh, and he has no understanding to, to see what the bottle is, that it, it is a, an idol that is actually devouring him instead of saving him. And so the Bible describes the idolater. The Bible describes the addict. And what kind of advice or wisdom does the Bible give to the addict? Well, the, the solution for idolatry is always God himself. And so that's the answer for uh, the alcoholic. It's God himself. And he says, is there, he says in verse 8, he says, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Don't fear life. Don't be afraid. He says, is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God, I know not any. And so the answer for the alcoholic is they need not fear. There's hope for them, and their hope is God himself. And the alcoholic, the addict, and any idolater needs to turn from... (laughs) Uh, needs to repent and turn from a misplaced trust and turn to the one and only true God, the only God who can truly meet the needs of their lives. And so you see that the Bible is the guidebook for the idolater's life, for the alcoholic's life, for the addict's life. And this is just one issue. And as I said, I'm just barely scratching the surface here. Obviously, this is something that we could spend weeks and months on. And oh, working with an addict um, is not a quick thing. And there's no quick and easy answers. But the approach that we take from the Bible is that the addict and the idolater needs God. And so... Basically, it's directing their attention from seeking answers in the wrong places to a relationship with God that will meet and give them the peace and the pleasure in their life that they were seeking through the bottle. And uh, is there an addiction in your life? If there is, the answer is the same. You need to have a relationship with God. And so the Bible, uh, yes, it offers uh, wisdom for life and for many, many problems of life, but it's not just grandmother's book of elixirs, this uh, fix for this problem. It's, it's much more than that. The Bible gives us a worldview, 
It's a way to think about life and a way to approach life the way that the Creator intended us to do. And ultimately, it introduces us to our Creator and uh, leads us to have a relationship with the living God. And uh, the relationship with God is, is how the Bible meets this promise. It's in a relationship with God that, that our souls are revived or restored. It's through a relationship with God and particularly through his word that we get the wisdom that, uh, that simple people and simple minds need. Uh, and it's a relationship with God that puts joy in our hearts where perhaps in the past there wasn't any joy. And so uh, the Bible rises to the occasion and it, hold, it, it holds forth a relationship with God what more could we ask? Why, do we, why would we turn anywhere else? If we're looking for pleasure, we're looking for meaning, and we're looking for deliverance, and all these things that uh, cause these problems in our lives when we go looking for them in the wrong places, why wouldn't we come to God through his word and particularly come to him through his son, Jesus Christ? Um, ultimately, that's the answer for all of our problems is we need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, again, I just want to say that the Bible uh, does meet and speak to the problems of life. And uh, I hope that you will consider the Bible. And if you wanted to use the Bible uh, for life, how would you go about that? Well, it's, it's not too hard. I want to offer three things. Uh, first of all, spend a little bit of time reading the Bible each day. And I've, I've talked to a lot of people, and I tend to ask, uh, do, do you ever read the Bible? And on occasion, I'll get some people who will say, yeah, I, I read the Bible sometimes or, or a lot. But most people will say, no, I never read the Bible. And uh, the reason that many people give is that it's just too hard. And I tend to say that it can be hard. Parts of it can be hard, but it's not insurmountable. And the more you read it, the more you'll understand it. And what I would suggest is just spend a little bit of time reading every day. Uh, every day, read just a little bit. You don't have to read a lot, but read daily. And day by day, as you read this book, you'll get little nuggets of truth that will help you with your life. Over time, day by day, as you're reading God's Word, you'll find yourself conforming more and more to the thought process and the character of God, and it will begin to shape your life. Uh, number two, the second thing I would offer is to seek out someone uh, who can counsel from the Bible. And it may be that uh, you know you have severe problems that... Uh, would be difficult just from reading the Bible alone, and maybe you need someone to come alongside and help you and to, to help explain the Bible and to help apply it to the problems of your life. And so I would say seek out a friend, somebody who knows the Bible. Seek out a, a pastor. A pastor studies, uh, reads and studies and applies the Bible on a regular basis. A pastor is engaged in counseling 
and would be able to do that. And so uh, seek out uh, a biblical counselor. And again, a biblical counselor is not sharing his own wisdom. You're not going to get somebody's personal advice about what to do about your problem. You're, you're finding someone, you're looking for someone who could point you to the wisdom of God's Word because God knows, and it's the only real solution to your problems is, is what He offers in His Word. And so seek out a, a biblical counselor, I would say. And number three, uh, be around people who love the Bible. I would say get attached to a community of people who love, read, and study the Bible. And of course, I'm talking about a church. If you don't have a church home, you need to have a church home because that's exactly what a church is. It's filled with people who love God and love his word and would love to come alongside of you and help you with your problems and uh, and specifically help to bring the Bible to bear on your problems. And so I'm the pastor of the Navin Baptist Fellowship, and if you live in the Navin area, um, and I would warmly invite you to come and study the Bible with us. You would be warmly welcomed. You would fit right in. And I guarantee that you'll learn something every week from the Bible. We meet on Sundays at 4 p.m. Um, at the Clonard House in Market Square, right in the middle of town. Just drop in some Sunday. We'd love to see you. But uh, get, in, get into the Bible and let the Bible speak to the needs of your heart, and uh, you can be assured that God will fulfill the promise of his word. He'll restore your soul. He'll give you understanding, and he'll give you joy in your heart. So thank you for listening. Um, if you have any questions, if you have problems, and you, you just want to reach out to someone, I'm available, and I'll do my best to point you to the wisdom of God's Word. And if I can't help you, I will point you to someone else who can. But please, don't uh, go through life alone trying to solve your problems. Don't look for answers in the wrong places, but consider the Bible and uh, come to God in His Word and he will give you wisdom.